Um, we'll be reading from Luke chapter 10, starting from verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbour? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave, gave him to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So we're uh, going on a journey following Jesus as we uh, listen to him and we're hearing his heart, uh, following as his disciples and learning what he has to say. So we've so far just looked what it means to be a disciple or follower. Yes, so we look at the cost and Jesus is very upfront about the cost. It's not going to be an easy road necessarily. It's going to be a great road because he will be with us. And today we're going to start... And listen to Jesus speak about what the nature of love or compassion or mercy is that he expects from those who will be his followers. And the story of the Good Samaritan, I assume, is fairly well known to most of us. Uh, but we'll see the point of the parable is to really look at the question about what sort of person am I? So it's not just looking at the story. Uh, the story comes back to us and we are forced to ask, well, what sort of person am I? as I listen to this, so we'll get to that. How about I pray, and we'll look at this together. As we come before you again today, Lord, pray that you'll open our eyes to the wonder in your word. May we understand the Lord Jesus Christ as our Saviour and Lord, and hear his teaching, Father, about the nature of mercy and love and compassion, and change our hearts that we be those who follow him completely. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, your Bible reading is always important. If you've got your Bibles open at this point, it'd be good just to look at the way this whole chapter works together. Um, I play golf occasionally, and uh, in golf, alignment is everything. And alignment is, mate, you've got to have a good setup and a good follow through, and that will tell you where the ball will go, in theory. <laughs> you play golf, you can do all those things, and it doesn't always play out, but in theory, you're meant to be able to work, determine where you're going. And this story has a setup and a follow through. And the setup and follow through are important to understand the nature of the story of the Good Samaritan. So this, the setup 
is in 1 to 24. In 1 to 24. And when Jesus sends out the 72 on a mission. It's a mini mission. The first time ever they go out. And the 72 are sent out. They hear the words of Jesus. And as they go, he expects them to follow up by doing the words of Jesus. And as they go and they hear and then do and taking his authority as seriously as they can, they're successful in their mission. So that's the first, they're hearing and doing. So that's the setup. The follow through is a story of Mary and Martha at the end of chapter 10, verse 38. Uh, in the story of Mary and Martha, we'll look at it a little bit later on. Mary is commended because she attentively sits at Jesus' feet, listening. Martha, who's busy doing, is corrected by Jesus because she first hasn't given attention to listening. So she's busy doing without first listening. So the whole chapter is a sort of play out between the hearing and listening and doing. And the nature of mercy will be as a consequence of that. And so the listening doing is the defining feature for those who are going to be followers. You've got to both listen and do, hear well, and follow through what you hear. And that's the shape that we need to bring to our understanding of this particular part of God's word in chapter 10, in the story of the Good Samaritan. It starts with the expert of the law who comes along and asks Jesus a question in verse 25. On one occasion, the expert of the law stood up and to test Jesus. We'll come to the significance of the testing in a while. The question was very simple. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, put the context, there's large crowds around Jesus. So he's got walking on his way, wherever he goes, there's people around gathering, waiting to listen to him or for him to do something. And here, an expert of the law a lawyer, I'm sorry to pick on lawyers, but expert in the law, uh, comes and asks him a question. Uh, and they want to know. The thing he picks up on this is a question of doing. And this whole section picks up on this theme. In verse 25, we hear, Teacher, he asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? In verse 28, do this and you will live. And verse 37, go and do likewise. So this is the question of, hearing and doing but there's a problem here what the nature of the doing is the hearing and doing is required and when you separate them you haven't got a true follow-up and so jesus replies to this very straightforward question you know what must i do to inherit eternal life by answering in a brilliant way <clears throat> in a brilliant way he goes to the heart of the matter straight away my advice to all of us, if you're going to take Jesus on, be careful what you try and do. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And I think it's appropriate for me to say upfront, ask questions about Jesus, clarify things, but don't try and fob him off by being clever because he will get you every single time. And this very clever expert law is got to very quickly because Jesus perceives behind his question a heart that's not right. So the lawyer comes and he wants to test Jesus, but within a short little while we find Jesus testing him, as always the case. Now there's a couple of problems first of all. 
The problem, of course, is that what can you do to inherit eternal life? That's a wrong question, isn't it? Nothing we can do to inherit eternal life. But that's not where Jesus lands. He could have taken off that. He goes to something more significant. He's going to be sidetracked. And we comes to verses 26 to 28. He says to the man after asking that question, the lawyer, what was written in the law? What is written in the law? How do you read it? <clears throat> so he straight away says, well, you're an expert. You know the law. Tell me your own understanding. And so the expert in the law replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus replied, you've done well. You've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. His answer exactly summarizes the demands of the law. He understands that this is a wonderful summary. And Jesus himself has summarized the law this way, didn't he? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. So that's a big, all-encompassing love. There's no part of our lives taken out. There's no little segment kept apart. Whole of our lives, heart, mind and soul, and mind is caught up in the love of God. But then we've got the other part, love of neighbour. And that's one commandment, remember? One summary. Love God and love your neighbour. It's only your appropriate response. If God is the God of everything, I don't think whatever way you could do it. And so at this point, there's nothing wrong with his hearing of the law, is there? He's heard well. He's heard the teaching of God's word absolutely correctly. However, anyone can say, oh, I love God so much. I love him so much. But how do you know that's absolutely true? What would that look like for someone to love God? Well, he's saying, if you really love God, it will be demonstrated in your love of neighbor. Love of God is seen the love of neighbor. And they go together seamlessly in a world where God is supreme everywhere. So the lawyer heard well. He's heard, but does he do? And remember, a disciple both hears and does. And this is where he's nailed. Verse 28. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he goes on. If only he'd stop there. But no, he couldn't help himself. He wanted to justify himself and asked Jesus, and who is my neighbour? He wanted to justify himself. Why would he want to justify himself? Because he's caught in hypocrisy. Remember, he asked a question he already knew the answer to. So the, what, who is he trying to test? And he wanted to see whether Jesus knew his stuff, because he knew the answer. But Jesus turned around, and now he needs to say, well, we've got... I've been caught out. I've got to justify myself. We've got to give an excuse. Uh, so the implication of what God requires are all too large for him, all too encompassing for the lawyer. He wants to try and define things more narrowly. He's heard the question of loving your neighbour and he wants to narrow the definition of a neighbour down to something that's manageable. And we're going to get to the conclusion here where the definition of neighbour is actually so large, it's almost like anyone can pull it, how could anyone pull it off? 
But he says, oh, I can't love everyone. Let me love certain people. Too large. So he wants to know, what sort of people should I love? What are the demands that are of God upon me that I can make manageable? If God demands everything, that's too much. I want a God who demands of me those things I find I can deal with. Because if it's too big, it's too large. I want it narrowly down to those things I can do. Um, have you noticed in New South Wales the speed limit is 100 or 110? Have you all noticed those rules? Has anyone been caught out? <laughs> and these are the rules apply in New South Wales without exception at any time. So just imagine it's late at night on an isolated road, no cars around, and you're late and you want to get home. You can justify speeding then, can't you? There's a very good reason why you should speed at that point. But try and explain that because you've not heard. If you've heard, you should do, shouldn't you? And there should be no justifying about the reason why. And it's interesting, I noticed, how often we will justify what we've done. And I've found out that little kids learn this pattern very early on. We just become more sophisticated as we become adults. we always got a reason why we had to do it this way. We're always right. So the lawyer wants to know, well, tell me who my neighbour is so I can obey the command. I'm really concerned about doing the right thing, so just help me understand who this neighbour is. And so we got the story of the Good Samaritan. If I told you a story that started this way... <clears throat> An archbishop walked into a bar, and next minute a bishop walked in the bar, who would be the third person you expect to walk into the bar? An archbishop, a bishop, it would be another religious official, wouldn't it? That's how the story would go. But I always said an archbishop walked into a bar, then a bishop, and then someone from the shire would say, wow, that's out of, that, why, that, why is that person there? Because no one from the shire would ever be a bishop or archbishop, would they? <laughs> They'd be kings. <laughs> but in the story, the same thing. There are three religious, two religious officials, and you expect after the priest and the Levite, you'd have another religious official, like a Pharisee or a Sadducee. The last person the expert law would expect would be a Samaritan. So let's read this story again and listen to Jesus' teaching. He, uh, he replied, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. We don't know who the man is. It doesn't make any difference to the story. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Didn't want anything to do with him. Saw his distress, saw his circumstances, saw him bleeding, went about the other side. So to a Levite, another religious official. When he came to the place and saw him, he passed on the other side. Then out of nowhere, and this, by the way, we're so used to hear, reading this or hearing it, we're not shocked by it, but it's shocking what is said next. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. 
He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to the town, the inn, and took care of him. The next day he took two denarii, which is worth about two days' worth of wage. So a denarii is about a day's wage. Gave him two days' worth of money to the inn, and he gave him to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. The priest and the Levite carefully passed the beaten, half-dead man on the other side. Day by day, week by week, they teach the law. Day by day, week by week, they could have actually answered the same question said, summarise the law for me, and they would have given exactly the same answer. Love the Lord your God with everything, and love your neighbour yourself. They knew it. They'd heard it. But they passed the man on the other side of the road. Now, this is where the shock is. <laughs> Samaritans were seen as a, for the average, most Jews were seen like a half-breed. The antagonism that existed between the two groups is hard for our heads to get around. The Bible talks about it a little bit. Uh, they had a half-baked version of the truth. They were half-breeds. They were impure. Uh, in a Jewish world, you could be contaminate, contaminated by their shadow passing you by. You have that sitting, you know? All oh, their germs are going to get me. Just their mere shadow could contaminate you. Remember in John 4 when Jesus was speaking to the Samaritan woman? That was a shocking thing to do. So the idea that the hero of this story is the Samaritan would be shocking to the lawyer. That the Samaritans acting as a neighbour is extraordinary. This, the lawyer, he really is the one who's in need here, not the Samaritan. So the Samaritan deals compassionately with a broken man amazingly pays for all the expenses. This is not just mercy, this is a costly mercy. They actually took time, effort and money to show the mercy to the broken, bleeding man. And we get to the end of it and the challenge is very straightforward. Go and do likewise. If you've heard, show me that you will do. And he says, which of these do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell on the hands of the robbers? The expert of the law. And this often happens with the stories of Jesus where people feel like they've been put in a box and they don't know where to go. And I just hear him sort of stammering and he says, I suppose the one who had mercy on him, he's in a place he doesn't want to say. And Jesus simply says to him, go and do likewise. So love of my neighbour is not cast within a narrow group. You don't put boundaries upon who the neighbour is. You can't redefine it just to be those people you are comfortable with. It's not love of people like myself. Love of neighbour is not just those people I feel comfortable with. Love of neighbour is not just those people who are not different to me. Love of neighbour encompasses all people. It's not just your group, those who look like you, sound like you, or just you can be around. Mercy cannot be constrained. Mercy cannot be constrained. And we cannot justify ourselves out of being a neighbour by saying they're the sort of people I can't be a neighbour to. 
There's no one who cannot be a neighbour. We can't be a neighbour to. So Jesus established the Samaritan as the one who exemplifies the characteristic of mercy. And this is the nature of verse 33. The expert in the law said, replied, the one who had mercy on him, the one who had pity on him. So what's the nature of mercy at this point? Mercy is when you see the distress or need of someone else and you have a heart full of compassion moved towards them in their distress. Mercy always does. Mercy is not just a, a feeling. Mercy has a response. You haven't shown mercy until your heart's moved you to do. I can be the most merciful person in the world, but unless I do, I'm not really shown any mercy at all. And mercy is not constrained in the doing by any barrier, whether it be religious, race, ethnicity, identity, whatever it may be, mercy cannot be delineated. Mercy cannot be delineated for Jesus' disciples. There's no group, no identity that mercy does not flow towards. So the lawyer is very typical of all of us at this point. We want to constrain things to something that's familiar, familiar, knowable, comfortable, doable. But Jesus expands it to the point where it feels like it's way beyond anyone's capacity. How can we all just love everyone like this? It's far beyond our lives, our experiences. Now remember Jesus has also said, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. In the parable, I assume... The priests and Levites represent those who have sacrificed. Samaritan represents those who have mercy. And you say, well, what, what was the failure then of the priests and Levite? And I think there's a massive warning for all of us here in our lives. I'm not sure of your circumstances. But we could all get caught up in the mechanics of religious formalism, if I put that way. We have the aspect of doing religious things, but we have no eye to distress, no heart moved by compassion, no effort to bring relief by the gospel of Jesus Christ. I talked before about seeing the Shire. What do you see in the Shire? Do you see people who are lost? Or do you see annoying people who are trying to get in your way before because you're trying to get somewhere? What do you see for those you interact, interact with? And mercy is the weighty matter of the law. Mercy is what we need to be doing. Mercy informs all doing. Now, at this point, how is it possible to have a heart overflowing continually with mercy? Because that's what we're saying. Every day is a day where I show mercy. And let's be honest... You wake up some days and you say, I can't be bothered. It's too demanding. I have what's called compassion fatigue. I can't keep on giving. It's beyond me to keep doing it like this. Really, I've had enough. Or am I just speaking personally as if no one else is ever like that? How do you keep going? Because these demands are extraordinary, aren't they? I have to keep on interacting with people. Can't be bothered with them. Had enough. No more. 
and that's just with my wife. <laughs> that's unfair. But I mean, you're just like, how do we have hearts like this? Well, teach, uh, Jesus teaches ultimately that we all need new hearts all the time. We need to be people created continuously with a lens of compassion. So I'll give you a little insight about how to go about it. If you ever reach that point where you say, oh, I'll just pick an easy one. You've got responsibilities on Sunday or Saturday or Friday. What other days of the week do you mean? <laughs> Tuesday, Monday, Wednesday, right? And, I, it, and you know you've got to go forward. And you know your heart's cold. You know your heart's just had enough. How do you go forward and show mercy? My, I, my suggestion would be, acknowledge before God you are like that. Then pray to God that he'll give you heart overflowing of mercy, even though you haven't got anything like that at the moment. Pray for God to give you that heart overflowing mercy and walk forward trusting that he'll provide for you as you go. Don't just wait. Some people I've heard used to say this. Well, I'm not feeling it today. Ever heard that expression? Not feeling it today. And the idea is that when I feel it, I'll do it. Mercy is not a feel, felt thing. Mercy is a response thing always, even if I don't feel it. So you go forward, trusting God's provision to have a heart of mercy when I've got the situation I need to face. So don't just wait for the feeling. Go forward in confidence that God will provide what you need in that moment of mercy. So it's so easy to, to neglect this in the Christian activity that we're all involved in. We've got so much preaching, leading, got stuff with kids' church, we've got to lead the service, we've got youth group to go to, we've got administration we've got to do, we've got meals and welcoming and small groups and all the activity. What's prior and informs all that from Jesus' point of view? Mercy. And I've seen in Christian community after Christian community where the doing becomes so all-encompassing that what's lost is the prior word of mercy. And the weightiness of mercy on the heart and when we just see the distress of others and feel the pity for them and move towards them and caring less about barriers is where we've got to always land. And that's the point of the follow-through of the story of Mary and Martha. Mary and Martha had the wrong way around. Ma Mary, uh, I would just read, as Jesus and disciples were on their way, they came to a village where there was a woman named Martha, opened her home to him. She said, had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he had to say. But Martha was distracted by all the preparation that had to be made. I just imagine this, isn't it? So much work I've got to do here. There's my sister. Sitting down doing nothing. Ugh, if it wasn't for me, nothing would get done in this place. She was distracted by all the preparation had to be done. She came to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has basically let me down? And I've got to do it all by myself? And you think then, what's Jesus' response? Oh, you're so right. If only had more people like you out there doing stuff, we'd be all fine. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary's chosen what is better. It's not, 
it would not be taken away from her. It's not to say there's wrong to do, but the doing has got to be informed by listening, having mercy in your heart first of all. So where's the failure there? It's a doing without mercy. The failure of the lawyer, he thought he had mercy, but he didn't do. Mercy and the doing go because you've got to hear properly first. Until you've heard properly and had your heart informed by a Lord with mercy, you cannot do. So the listening is genuine and right. So the lawyer asks the question, who is my neighbour? But Jesus frames the question, who is behaving like a neighbour? Who are you with others? What are you really like with others? And the followers of Jesus are going to be the people who bring mercy to others all the time. Never fatigued, never get over it, never get tired of it. Never say they're not my sort of people. Never say they're the wrong sort of folk. Never at the wrong time. We always show mercy to all those around us. Come on, Jesus. Narrow it down. Confine it. Make my life manageable. Keep on, you keep on asking, make it so large, all-encompassing, too demanding. I can't see all those people. I can't just show compassion everywhere. I can't show mercy as you're describing it here. But I can't pick and choose who my neighbour is. I can't just choose that. My neighbour is who's in front of me when I see. And I pray that the Lord would give us eyes to see. So the followers of Jesus are to do mercy because they are first genuinely attentive to the words that Jesus speaks. This is a road to Jerusalem. It's a road to the ultimate place of mercy, isn't it? Uh, Jesus will will offer to lay down his life as an ultimate act of mercy to us all. And he'll say, where can we find the resources to be merciful? He go ultimately on the road all the way to the cross where the saviour of all, the ultimate good Samaritan par excellence, laid down his life in an act of mercy that we ourselves are caught up with. So if you want to find where you can find the resources to be merciful, come to the place of mercy, Jesus, the great good Samaritan par excellence. So where we land today... Mercy is required for his disciples. And what do we do? Go and do likewise. Okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word to us today. It's a difficult word. We know that our hearts are so easily narrowed rather than expanded. We are so easily ones who justify ourselves and our behaviour rather than being attentive to your word. Help us in all our lives and actions to be those who know what mercy looks like, to look at the world full of compassion. Forgive us those times we stumble, where we become a little bit disheartened or narrowed. May you help us expand this day to be merciful to those who are ever before us, to all those who are our neighbours. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.